hearts would be opened, that you would search them. And then most of all, that, that you would fill them with all that we must know today. All these things we pray. Amen. So, with a, uh, a title such as Knock Knock, how many of you uh, were rattling your brain about a good knock knock joke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I've got some for you. <laughs> so, knock knock. Stopwatch. Stop what you're doing and open the door. Okay. Knock knock. Gopher. Go for the key and unlock the door. They aren't mine, so um, mine would have been a lot funnier. But, <laughs> but sometimes when we get readings like these, uh, they seem to allow us a free pass, right? Surely they weren't intended for us. How many times have we heard about Jesus knocking on the door? And so we start to look around the, the sanctuary and, and look for the visitors and say, oh, it must be for them. Because you're probably thinking, Pastor, we're already in church. We've been in church for a really, really long time, for many, many years. All this knocking business, yeah, we've heard that before. We're already ready for Jesus to knock on our, on our door. And so I think, fair enough, fair enough. But I also know that many long-professing Christians have thought themselves ready. And so I want to set this up with our text from Isaiah, in which we learn that God has grown weary and tired of the empty fulfillment of law. The sacrifices that God so cherished early on had been replaced with meaningless, meaningless sacrifices. The celebrations and gatherings that were intended to be holy and to identify the people as God's people, to establish them as separate from the rest of the world, had become cumbersome and empty, and God came to loathe them. It said that they were a burden. God recognized them for what they had become, just something to do because that's what you're supposed to do. God was ready for something different, because what had been had lost its meaning. Through the prophet, God is telling the people to get their act together. So verse 16 and following is God's vision for God's people to recreate and to reconnect to the authenticity God wanted from the people. God wanted them to wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Those are pretty intense verbs, right? It seems to me that God's very own people, despite their chosenness, had fallen short of authentic praise and worship of God, and instead it had been replaced with evil. Authentic obedience became mandatory obedience. There's a difference. 
So thousands of years later, in 1741, John Wesley, founder of Methodism, wrote a sermon entitled, The Almost Christian. Anybody read it? Okay. And delivered it to the faculty and staff and students at Oxford University. It, like most of John Wesley's sermons, was convicting. He described some of the most common heathen practices. Heathens were honest. They did good for each other. They labored for their neighbor's benefit. They even believed the Old and New Testament. He even went on to say that the almost Christian took on the outward appearance of being godly. They prayed. They obeyed the commandments. They didn't curse or take the Lord's name in vain. They might have even participated in holy communion. And so, if you're like me, and you hear that, you start to wonder, what about you? (laughs) What am I? Am I an almost Christian? Authentic obedience had become mandatory obedience. Fortunately, John Wesley went on to give the distinction, and it's simple. He described the altogether Christian. So there was the almost Christian and the altogether Christian, the complete Christian, the whole Christian. The real-life bona fide Christian is someone who did the exact same things as the heathen, with one exception, and that exception is their heart. The altogether Christian behaved like a Christian because everything they did emanated from their heart. Their response to people, to situations, to circumstances, to God's call and command on their life was heartfelt. Our hearts have been the subject matter of artists throughout history, and I'm certainly not an artist, nor am I an art historian but I sure do appreciate, appreciate art when I see it and hear it. Folks, I'd even go so far as to say that I can recognize art when I taste it. I've had a few good servings of homemade noodles, egg noodles, some black raspberry pie, any, any form of mashed potato or potato at all. <laughs> I would qualify as art. <laughs> Nevertheless, you've probably seen these two paintings at some point. On the left is uh, an English painter named William Holman Hunt, and it's called Light of the World. You can see in there the light, right? It's the most uh, obvious thing right there. And you can see in the background sort of this eerie feeling um, of, of sort of what we talked about last week, the wasteland, and you can see the brambles and the weeds growing up around the door, and you can see the door, and you can see Christ's hand knocking on it. And then on the right side, I think in 1968, every single Methodist church bought this print. I have it out in my Jeep, actually, because I didn't know how this was going to work. So, um, But again... Uh, you can see the brambles, the weeds growing up around it, um, and you can see the light emanating from somewhere. Jesus' arm is 
over it, so you can't see it directly, but that light is shining from Jesus' heart, and it's shining back up onto, onto the door, and guess what the door looks like? A nice heart, right? And so Christ is knocking at the door of our hearts. These two pieces of art are meant to connect us with a couple of things. First, they elicit some feeling about verse 34 that we read today, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's in our heart? Is it something we will share, or is it something that we want all to ourselves? Does our heart house treasures that are so dear to us that if Jesus is knocking to enter, will we have to make room for him? If our hearts are too full and Jesus is knocking, will we have to prioritize and treasure, prioritize our treasures and shed something that we love? Or will we simply not answer the door? These two pieces also connect us to our feelings about being ready when Christ does come knocking. Our hearts might be surrounded by a bunch of weeds. Our heart might be caged in. You can see in the, on the door on the right, a mesh window that confines our insides. It's dark in there also. Perhaps our authentic relationship with Jesus has been replaced with empty words of love and robotic hands and feet. In verse 36, it says to be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes knocking. And for us, in verse 37, it is just as important. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. And then skipping over verse 38, verses 39 and 40. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house be broken, would not let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Our words of love and servant hands and feet must be accompanied with the same love-filled heart that beats in and through Jesus Christ. We must let Christ live through us so that when Christ knocks, there isn't any stumbling in the dark. If we knew when Christ was coming, it would be like a a scheduled little get-together and we would know when to be on our best Christian behavior. But that's not what Christ wants. Jesus wants 24-7 Christians, Christians that are Christians all the time. What went so wrong that Isaiah needed to warn the people of their empty sacrifices? What prompted John Wesley to challenge those comfortable in their Christianness by describing them as on par with the heathens? The answer, the condition of their hearts. The condition of our hearts. 
Church, it's imperative that we never get too lax in how we bring honor and glory to God and profess our love for Jesus Christ. We must anticipate the Holy Spirit filling, filling us, leading us, and making us bold in our prayers, our praise, and our worship. We have to let Jesus Christ into our hearts. Let Him push and prod and mold and transform our hearts to be like His heart so that what comes out of us is authentic and not mandatory. When we can do this, what will come out of us is Jesus Christ in the world. We cannot allow ourselves to exchange our authentic expression of worship and praise, our devotion and our Christian living for an easy one. One that lets us off the hook. For one that doesn't make us sacrifice anything or demand anything from us. We cannot exchange our expression, our authenticity for one that comes out looking like Christian. We have a choice, you know. Just like the Israelites did and his, John Wesley's contemporaries and, and the almost Christians. We can have an authentic, challenging, life-giving, Christ-filled heart or we can fake it. Look again at the two paintings. Look at the doors that lead to our hearts. Look at the doorknobs. Tell me, since Jesus is knocking, how will he enter? Knock, knock. Midas. Midas will let me in or I'll keep on knocking. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, help us be willing and obedient. We want to eat the good of the land to be a part of the perfect promise you have waiting for us. And so knock yet again on our hearts. Let us open them yet again. Renew us and empower us to love yet again. Like you always have and always will. These things we pray. Amen.